Chicago. Uh, in tons of cold weather, you're welcome. Uh, yesterday was a treat for us. We, uh, we got some exciting things going on in Chicago. We have a group of four sons who are getting ready to plant a church in Elgin, which is about 40 minutes from us. So we're getting ready to send those guys out in a couple weeks. Uh, there was a, another group of us that went to the Balkans in January, and we got to see the Lord do some amazing work there. Uh, we went to nine countries in 20 days, and uh, my goodness, the Lord is erasing borders all over the world and bringing his body together. And it's amazing to be here together with all of you today. What I wanted to do today, I don't know exactly what I even wanted to call this message, but the Lord stirred something in my heart for you guys. I love that this body is becoming a body of exaltation. As you guys are engaging in exalting the Lord together, the Spirit is beginning to manifest in power among you. The God, God has put a powerful call on this family in Denton, Texas. You believe that or no? Yes. You believe it? The enemy wants to do whatever he can to kill you during the call. This is not going to be a doom and gloom message. What I want to do is encourage you to be aware of the enemy's schemes. We were in Saranda, Albania, if, uh, if you know where that is. Most people don't even know where Albania is on a map. If you were going to look at a map and see Italy right across the Adriatic Sea, there's a, a country called Albania. And Albania has a city, and the name of the city is Saranda, and it means 40. And this city was named after a story that most of you are familiar with, the story of Legio Fulminata. How many people know that story in here? The story of the 40 martyrs. So that happened in like 315 AD, but in like the 600s, there was a monastery that was built in Saranda, Albania, in honor of these 40 martyrs. And you can go up to this monastery, it's, since then World War II was bombed, so it's a bunch of ruins, but you can actually go underground. And underground they have 40 rooms, or 40 caves, that you can go into representing each one of the martyrs that laid down their life. And so what would happen, men would come from all over the region to this monastery to go and spend even a night in this room to make a declaration and say, no, Lord, we are going to stand like our brothers did all around the world. Amen. And times of worship would begin to erupt in these caves underground in Saranda, Albania. If you know the story of Legio Fulminata, not all 40 made it. There was one man who decided to leave the ice, and before he got to the warmth or to the comfort that his heart desired, he died. He was in the toughest battle yet. It was one of the greatest legions of all time, yet he got killed during the greatest call that was ever put on his life, to stand for the name of Jesus Christ. And see, the Lord is moving around peace. Can you feel that in the spirit? The Lord is moving people around. He's bringing armies together. And I want to encourage you through a few uh, passages this morning that the Lord has been stirring up in my heart. That he's been stirring up in our congregation, that he's been stirring up in our body that we've been talking about. 
here. We've been talking about in Europe. We've been talking about all over the world. And I, I want to kick things off in Matthew chapter 4. Come on. That was awesome. All right. Are you in Matthew chapter 4? We're going to pick up in verse 1. What it says in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It's pretty cool that the Lord has led this church into a wilderness where you will probably be tempted by the devil at some point. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. If you know anything about this passage, which I'm, I'm sure you guys already do, you have amazing, phenomenal pastors here, and you guys are students of the Word. Satan is trying to get Jesus to step outside of God's will. And he's even trying to do that through using Scripture. We're entering into a time where the battle isn't even going to be over if you do Scripture or not, but the battle that we are seeing rage is over the application of Scripture. Do you see a difference? It's not about if this is in the Word or if this isn't in the Word. It's coming down to all how we apply the Word. The reason why all of us are called cults is because of the way we apply the word. I was talking with one of the pastors earlier. It's, it's interesting that many believers and uh, leaders of the LGBTQ, I don't know the rest of the letters movement, would call what we're doing the same thing. Because it's always going to be about how we actually apply the word of God. So what we see is uh, Satan begins to uh, tempt Jesus in this moment and he says, uh, he's quoting from Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 10, about being fed. He's actually starting to bring scripture into it and saying, Jesus, do this, implying a scripture. And Jesus has to decide, is this God's will? Now, the temptation is very interesting. We're going to look at three temptations, and what the Lord was speaking to us was, was a warning about how the devil wants to tempt us away from the call of God that is on our life. The first thing we see here is, is he's tempting him to make stones, something that was never supposed to be consumed, something that never was supposed to be uh, uh, enjoyed, something that was never supposed to be food, he said, you need to turn something that's not meant to be this into provision. My goodness, is that not the first battle that the enemy wants to try to get us with every time we step forward in the call of God on our life? You're not going to have enough provision. You have to do something about it. How many people have ever felt that battle? God, I know this call that you've put on my life. I know what you're calling us to in this next season, but I'm not sure how the provision is all going to pan out. Come on. I'm there. And Jesus has to decide in a moment. 
Is this the way I need to apply the word? Because it's not just about uh, a temptation to stay back because of a lack of provision, which there is. But it's trying to create provision out of something that God never intended. Because we were meant to walk by faith. In this stage of your life right now, do you feel this pull surrounding provision? Do you feel that there are these opportunities that are coming before you that you're having to to really weigh through? Is this of God? Is this not of God? Because we need him to provide, but how is he going to do it? See, we have to walk in the commands and the will of our Father so that we can see the glorious call lived out in our lives. None of us here are at a disadvantage. Do you truly believe that? You're not, at a, you're not at a disadvantage in any way. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We can stand in confidence. We can exalt Him no matter what trials come. Because we know our Father and he, we know the call that He's given to us. And Jesus answers. Jesus answers with the Scriptures in Deuteronomy 8.3. He says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So no, this isn't for me. My food is to do the will of my Father. But see, that's not where the temptation stops. So maybe you, even in this season of life, You've already worked through this provision thing. You've stepped out in faith. You've said yes to the call of God. I'm going to go, God, and I know that you're going to provide every step of the way. But Satan actually leads him to do another thing here. Satan tries to get Jesus to commit ministry suicide. And he tries to use scripture for Jesus to justify doing so. Have you ever felt this? Have you ever felt uh, a couple words came out, uh, the pressure of the season, being pressed? How many people are in the season of pressing right now? Have you ever felt that season of pressure and all of a sudden you find yourself looking for ways to get out of that season and you're even using scripture to do it? Oh man, I, I, I read this word the other day and whew, I, I really think I need to move on to this different place. I need to move on to something else. I need to throw myself off of this building in faith, believing that God is going to send angels to scoop me up and I'm going to be fine. That's the second temptation. Let's see it in the word. And the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Did Jesus love the holy city? Did Jesus love Jerusalem? Of course. Imagine overlooking the very thing that you love. It seems very noble what the devil's trying to tempt him to do. And he said, if you are the son of God, he's really hitting at his identity, right? Hey, if you're the son of God, you can move in faith like this and this will happen. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down for his written. Now Satan doesn't just uh, uh, refer to scripture, but he actually speaks a scripture. It says, and he begins to quote Psalm 91, 11, and 12. He says, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you, you strike your foot against a stone. Satan's using scripture to try to get Jesus to jump off a building. And I want you to think about that for a second. Did Satan want to see Jesus jumped off a, jump off a building and, and swooped in and saved by angels? 
No, he wanted to see him jump from the will of God to his death. And he used scripture to try to get him to do that. So brothers and sisters, I, I, I want to tell you, you need to be in tune to the will of God. And I'm not just talking about for your life. I'm talking about in this family. So that you can discern the word and live out the word in complete faith. So maybe that's not it. Okay, so man, you made it through the provision thing. You're trusting God. You felt these pulls to go somewhere else. Like, I, I can't do this anymore. Like, God, I got this word. And I, I think I can use that word as proof that I'm meant to actually be here and do that. And, and, and you've gotten through it all. And you've gotten through it. And you're like plugged in. You're, you're staying in the season God has you in. Well, the next temptation is, okay, if I, if I can't get you to not do it, if I can't get you to commit ministry suicide in it, maybe I can get you to make it about your own glory. Look at this last temptation. It says, Jesus said to him, so he responds with scripture on, on the last one. Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord, your God, to the test. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6.16. So again, the devil took him now to a very high place, an even higher place. He has a bird's eye view now. To a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, Deuteronomy 6.13, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Are you in the middle of feeling a temptation to make what you are a part of with your family about you? To make it about your position, to make it about your promotion. Because when we go through these temptations, and listen, don't feel bad for a second that these temptations have come into your life. Don't feel bad for a second. You're not broken, you're not out of your mind. This is part of the call of being ministers of the gospel of Jesus. But we have to see them as what they are, temptations, not from God and his will, but from the enemy trying to get us to be killed as we're living out the call that he has placed on our lives. This is what it says. I, I want to read a couple scriptures. Revelation 3.20. This is a revelation church, Amen. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, do you know, you know what the next word says? And what does it say in your translation? And opens the door. Do you see, there's an action that is involved when the Lord calls to you. It's not just about hearing what the Lord is saying, but it's responding correctly to let him in. I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. This is a picture of restoration in the context of Revelation 3. The Laodicean church at this point was, uh, they were stuck in complacency. And Jesus is saying, no, I still have mercy and grace and I'm going to call out to you through a knock on your door and you have to let me in. He says, the one who conquers. So you get to eat with him if you let him in. That's an amazing thing to be restored through having a meal with Jesus, right? But check this out. It says, the one who conquers, so now you conquer over the, the, the very temptation that you were facing. 
You conquer over your own uh, spiritual laziness and apathy to engage. It says, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Come on, not only do we get to have a meal with Jesus, but we get to rule and reign with him like the scriptures say. As I have conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And I want us to get this last part. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the individual. No! To the church. To the churches. Do you see that the call that you're a part of is so much bigger than you? That if someone comes up to you, we like to ask each other this all the time, right? Uh, what is your mezuzah? You ever ask that? Okay, that's turned into like the one association pickup line for guys and girls. Like, hey, hey, what's up, girl? What's your mezuzah, right? And it's easy, and, and when it's framed that way, we think about what am I individually called to? But what we see, the call goes far beyond the individual. It goes far beyond the church. But it's about God uniting his churches together to live out the Father's will. We have to do it together. What we're going to look at, and I hope you cancel dinner plans tonight. I'm going to try to make it as short as I can. <laughs> I didn't even plan really the first part I was going to say, but we're going to look at how groups called together who were meant to live out the call of God and how rebellion occurred right after the revelation of the call was established. I'll say it again this way, that there's a revelation that comes down from God, a calling. A certain group of people receive that as their own, and in that group, a certain section begins immediately to rebel against it. Because the reality is, we have a choice to open the door when we're called. So many times people have thrown around scriptures like in Romans where it says, but the, the, the calling gifts of God are, are irrevocable. That's not talking about this. this is talking, that's talking about his nation, Israel. You have an opportunity to open the door to the call of God as a church, as a family. Isaiah 66, 4, it says, and uh, I, I will bring on them what they dread. Think about that. I will bring on them what they dread. Dread, do you dread anything? Do you dread your family not getting enough time together because of ministry? Do you dread another meeting to go to? Do you dread maybe the loss of your individualism as you're a part of a family? Well, what it says in Isaiah 66, 4, it says that God will bring upon them what they dread. Well, how does that happen? I don't want that. What happens? Because I called and no one answered. I spoke, but they did not listen. And they did evil in my sight and chose that in which I do not delight. My goodness, so many times we have these things that we fear, these things that we dread that keep us from fully engaging in the call of God on a family together because we're afraid of something. When what the scriptures teach is that when you fear those things and if you say no to the call of God, those things will inevitably come upon you. How many people are thankful that today 
you can experience the grace and mercy of God to overcome those fears. Today, you can experience uh, the goodness of God to step forward and say, Lord, I know you've been calling for a while, and I've, I've said no. I've pretended like the phone wasn't ringing, but I'm here today, and I'm saying yes, God. Not just to what you called me to, but what you're calling the entire family to. I'm saying yes to that. And see, the beautiful thing is we can do it in joy. The words were coming about about joy. This isn't like a burden that we have to trudge through. This is a treasure that was revealed to us by God. In in Matthew, there's a a parable that's told about the man who finds a treasure in a field. And it says that in his joy, he sells everything and buys the field. Not in his obligation to answer the call, not in his dutifulness to answer the call, but in his joy. And see, we can have a joy in saying yes to the call. I wrote this, a great call in Revelation is always challenged by great compromise and rebellion. It's inevitable. A great call in Revelation is always challenged by great compromise and rebellion. What we're going to look at are three different types of calls that we experienced that I believe the Lord uh, was just highlighting, and we're going to use a few scriptures to look at them. The first call is a call to build. Why don't you turn to Exodus chapter 31? A call to build. Did you know you have a call to build? We're in a fun part of Exodus because right before this, Moses was given instructions about the tabernacle and the priests. He's meeting with God. Everyone's waiting. Remember that? Everybody's waiting. When's Moses going to come back? And he's given the instructions of the tabernacle. And if you know what the tabernacle looks like, there's the holy place. There's the most holy place. Uh, You would walk in and there would be an altar and there would be a, a wash basin and then... Uh, on, on your left, you'd have the menorah. On the right, you'd have your table of showbread. And in, in the middle, you would have the altar of incense. And there was supposed to be a picture that was drummed up in, inside of the mind of the hearer and the reader of this that God was giving us the instruction about how to create his living room. The very place he wanted to meet. The very place where he could sit on his throne as a father. I mean, think about it. You have a picture of a lampstand on the left, a menorah. You have a lamp. You have the showbread on your right. You have food. You have the altar of incense. Maybe that's like a diffuser in your house. (laughs) There's curtains. Tabernacle was always supposed to be a picture of the Father desiring to meet with his people, his very presence. And he said to his children, Hey, I want you to be a part in building my living room. Do you know that's the same call that's on your life? That you are called to build a place inside of yourselves, inside of the church where the presence of God dwells. And listen, we're not talking about building a building. 
We're talking about the community you have in relationships. Wherever you go, that's where God wants to meet. That's why you can go out on a Friday night and begin to preach and have uh, people coming against you. But the presence of God is there and the Father wants to meet with His children. And He's given us the instructions for how to do that. And so we work through Exodus, we see all these things, and then we come to Exodus chapter 31. And it says this in verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. I want to make note of something. Nowhere do we see that Bezalel gets any input about what he's called to, but God speaks to his leader about what he's called to. How many people in here your calling has been unlocked because God put a leader in your life to say, no, son, no, daughter, this is what I see in you. This is what you are called to. You think of someone even like Aaron. Aaron doesn't get any instructions. He just has to trust his brother Moses. Think about that for a second. You're Aaron. You got to be a part of all these miracles. But God speaks to Moses about what Aaron is supposed to do. Do you trust your brother like that? Do you trust your sister like that? Because God has a plan. He has a really important plan for his presence to dwell with his people. But imagine for a second there wasn't trust between Aaron and Moses. Pretend for a second that Bezalel didn't trust his leader. So, and he says that in verse 3, And I have filled him with the Holy Spirit, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge in all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for every setting, and in carving wood to every craft. And I want to read this in verse 6. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. The calling wasn't his own. Bezalel's calling wasn't his own. But did you see, did you catch in the text where it says he was called by name? Did you see that? This isn't seen very often at all in the Bible. We only see this phrase, called by his name, when it's actually referring to Bezalel. We see it happen with people. We see uh, uh, Abraham, Abraham, remember? Samuel, Samuel. You see a double call on a handful of people in the Bible. But this phrase, called by name, is very special. Is very important in Scripture. I want you to know, Bezalel, the name Bezalel, if you're going to, we have uh, a young child in our church whose name is Bezalel. The name means in the shadow of God. His father's name is Uri. So catch this. Those who dwell in the shadow of God and are fired are fathered with the fire of God, are filled with the Spirit of God and called by name. God, I, I want my, my calling to, to, to make a difference. I want what we're doing to make a difference. <coughs> Stand in the shadow of God. Be where His presence is. Be fathered, be ministered to when His holy fire comes, when He begins to burn up those places in you that doesn't belong, when the purification comes now did you see what it said about Bezalel 
He had ability. He had intelligence. He had knowledge. He had craftsmanship. Those are all four different words in Hebrew. He was the complete package. Ability, that's the skill matched with experience to get something done. Are there anyone in here, you have ability in here, you have a certain skill, and you have the experience with that skill? Anybody? No? Cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah, John. There we go. So humble back there. Didn't even want to raise his hand. He had not only skill, but he had intelligence. This is the intellectual understanding to get something done. All right, this is amazing because some people are just kind of natural. Like, they're really skilled. They're like, oh, dang, you picked that up quick. How'd you do it? They're like, I don't know. I just did it. Bezalel was more than that. He actually knew how and why he did the things he did. Somebody say complete package. Yeah, this guy was it. Ability, intelligence, he had knowledge. Okay, this is the, in, uh, the technical insight to get something done. So this is like the tricks of the trade, okay? Because you can be skilled in something, you can know how it works, but then if you've ever been with someone like a builder or a mechanic, and they're like, hey, let me show you a little trick of the trade. You're like, oh, dude, that was so good. Yeah, this guy had it. Say complete package. <laughs> the last thing, he had craftsmanship. This is the diligence to get something done. Ever meet someone who's really skilled, they know it, uh, uh, everything about it, they have insight, they always got the tips and tricks, but they're lazy as all get out. Yeah, not this man. He was the complete package. And he still needed a team. He still needed a team. He was given a man named Aholiab. Aholiab means the father's tent. How amazing is it that God called Bezalel by name, he gives him a holyab to build the father's tent, and that's what he's already named. It's as though God knows the plans that he has for you. His dad's name was, means brother of help. <coughs> Bezalel's partner was a man who dwelt in the father's tent who was fathered by a man known for helping the brotherhood. See, thank you, my friend. Long before he built the tabernacle, long before he built the father's tent, that was already the call on his life. You don't need to worry about two things. You don't need to worry about your team or you don't need to worry about your timing because God already has it all together. You just have to worry about saying, yes, Lord, here I am. The door is open. So we get this in incredible instruction, this incredible revelation in, in Exodus chapter 31. If I was Moses, man, right now I'd be jumping up and down. Wow, the Lord wants to dwell with us like this? I can't believe it. And what happens immediately after this revelation was given? Exodus 32, a rebellion. A rebellion. You can imagine Moses' heart just beginning to, to flutter and, and, and as he's hearing these things about how they're going to get to build their father's living room. Like, Dad, of course, I want us to dwell together. This is going to be amazing. And in Exodus 32, verse 1, this is what it says. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered their, themselves together to Aaron and said, Up. 
Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. Their impatience led them to rebel against the call of God and the revelation that was happening behind the scenes. Are you impatient with the call of God on your life? I want to encourage you today that there is something going on behind the scenes in the spiritual realm that you just may not see. But God is working on your behalf to establish His presence all over the earth. And He wants to use us to do it. So we know how the story goes. They create a calf. A lot of people think this was supposed to be some sort of momentum to the God of Hathor that was from Egypt. This was, I'm going to read this. The goddess of Hathor was depicted as a full cow and sometimes as a human with a cow's head or ears. The cow head was seen as life-giving. She sustained life through her milk and it was even said of some uh, that the pharaohs uh, were nursed by her. Uh, the, the cow goddess, Hathor, empowered, sustained, and imparted divinity to the king's ruler. She represented fertility and motherhood, protection over children, uh, represented in love, joy, music, dance, and all that was beautiful. So instead of just waiting for the man of God to come back, they grew impatient. And it wasn't that they were trying to worship necessarily another god, but they wanted to create an image. Lord, this is what I want you to look like. Yahweh, this is what I want this season, this ministry to look like. Like this thing that I saw in Egypt. And now that we can't have it in Egypt, I want it here. My goodness, are you trying to turn your season, the ministry that God has given to you, into something that looked like it was before, but you kind of stamp a different name on it? That's what's happening with the people. See, there was a reason why when Moses came down, he hears singing, shouting, the people are dancing. This was the goddess of dance. It looked too good to be true. And see, we know how things ended. That there was a dividing line. There was a call that had to be made. That there was a time where the Levites stood up and they became priests because they were willing to stand for righteousness and cut down even their own family. To say, no God, I'm going to follow the call that you've put on us as a people. You guys are called to build Are you growing impatient? Can you think of areas in your own heart where you have a desire to see what you're a part of become like something that you knew from before but has no part in this season? You guys were called to build. You know, it's amazing because in Exodus 40, they get to the place where the tabernacle was set up, where Moses, by his own hand, it says, finished the work in Exodus 40, 33. And in Exodus 40, 34 through 36, it says that the glory of the Lord filled 
the tabernacle. Because the reality is even our sin in those moments won't stop what God wants to do. It just determines if we will get to be a part of it or not. I want to be a part of, of, of everything that the Lord wants to do. And for that we have to open the door. We have to say, Jesus, come inside. Get all of these things out of my heart that don't belong because I want to build your kingdom, Father. I want to build your house. Because I was called to build. Here's another area of attack that I want to look at. The call to serve. The call to serve. We're not just builders running around, but we're here to serve. Pastor Mike and I, we've been talking uh, some about the uh, apostolic moves, and many times we were, we were reading uh, a writing that someone did about apostolic moves. A lot of times we make what we're doing about conquering, right? I'm going to take this land. What we really want to do is, Lord, we, we want to conquer the sin in our own lives, and help other people conquer and put to death sin in their lives. And then we will be set apart as a holy nation trusting in you, right? That's what we mean. Like we don't actually want to go and kill people and take their land. That's not what we want to do. Maybe that happens in Chicago, but surely not in Denton, okay? But we were called to serve. Philippians 2, Jesus came, he literally poured himself out of his ability to operate in his deity so that he could serve humanity. And that's the same call that we've been placed. Why are we a priesthood of believers? It's because we, we are here to serve. You have a call to serve. Look at Exodus 28, 1 through 2. It says... Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. So the, the word for serve here is a special word. You won't remember the Hebrew and it's not really that important, but... It literally just means to serve as a priest. You were created to serve as a priest. And you're going to be given garments to serve as a priest. And many times when we think about these garments that are given, we think, because it says they're for glory and they're for beauty. But I, I think the heart that that's what it's trying to get at is when you put on garments as a servant, you will be beautiful and glorious in the sight of your father. And that's who these priests were. They were given a priesthood. We see that confirmed in Exodus chapter 32 like we just talked about. Let's look at Leviticus 8. Let's see exactly what these priests were initiated into. When you get there, say, I am called to serve. Thank you for being honest about the pace and the length it took you to get to that passage. I appreciate that. Come on, we all do it. Just, everyone's like, stay there when you're there. And you're like, there, and you haven't even opened your Bible. You're like, oh. Sorry, Lord. Just got caught up in the moment. 
It says in Leviticus 8.30, Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and of the blood that was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron and his garments. Do you see how there had to be this connection to dying on the altar to be a priest? You had to be familiar with the altar. You had to literally have the altar on you. That had to be your life. Hey, we are living, living sacrifices for the Lord. That's not just from Hebrews. That's from the beginning of the priesthood. That you have to have had close contact with the altar of God. Laying your life down. And also on his sons. And his son's garment. To make a point saying just like Aaron is, so his sons are. You have to see them the same way. I, I was talking to another pastor about this that as we have pastors raised up in our churches, and I know this doesn't happen here at all. I know it doesn't. I know it just happens at the arising, I promise, okay? But sometimes a new pastor will be ordained, and people will be like, well, hey, I just want you to let you know they're not my pastor, you're my pastor. No, no, no. And listen, I know that never happens here. I know that's never happened here in your heart. That these... <laughs> not once. As Aaron was, so his sons were. Right? Over this house. Now, don't you, I know you don't need it. I'm preaching this so that a rising people listen to it back home. As Aaron is, so are the sons. That's how the word of God sees them. I don't care what you think. That's what God says about it. A rising church back home? Okay. Maybe remnant church here, too. They've already been influential in my life. You need to hear that sometime, not now. I'll, I'll tell you the stories of all that happens. But Pastor Devin, Pastor Landon, Pastor Kaysen, my goodness, you guys are called men of God that I'm so overjoyed to stand shoulder to shoulder with. So we have this amazing scene. You want it to get a little better? Okay, go to Leviticus 9. There, there we go. Establishing truth in the house of God. Leviticus 9, 23. So you have these sons who were ordained for the work. And Moses and Aaron went into this tent of meeting. Yes, the new tent that they built. They go into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of God appeared to all the people. Don't you know that when you have an encounter with God, it's not just meant for you, but it's meant to bless other people? Yeah. They went into the tent, but all the people received a blessing. When we think of times of being you know, in the presence of our Father, we kind of have this picture that it's meant for me to be alone in my room with the Lord, which is good, but it's not supposed to end there. It's meant to be a blessing to the entire family because the call isn't about an individual. The call is about a family. Okay, so the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Now they get to see it. Oh, my goodness. After fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of the fat on the altar, and when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. It's this overwhelming moment of, God, you did what you said you were going to do. And his glory was filling that place. Say divine revelation. revelation. They had a moment of divine revelation in the physical. They get to see God manifest in crazy ways. But what happens after a powerful call and revelation comes? Rebellion. Immediately after that, Immediately after that. Look at what happens in chapter 10, verse 1. What a pattern. 
Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer. Got my own censer. Do something special with my censer. This is mine. God gave it to me. It's all mine. My censer. Come on, say my censer. He took my censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. Despite what you may have seen on YouTube, this isn't about speaking in tongues. <laughs> Which he has not commanded them. Verse 2. And the fire came out before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord said, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Okay, this is fun. You ready for something fun? In Exodus, when the call goes out to build the tabernacle, it says that anyone who had willingness in their heart showed up. It was as though the willingness of heart, it wasn't just the dedication or you feel obligated, but the willingness of heart the persons whose spirit led them to. They were the ones who came and brought offerings before the Lord. You know what the word for willingness of spirit is? Nadab. Now you have a man whose name is Nadab, supposed to be the picture of like this liberal, I'm not talking about left-wing liberal, but like, like put too much ketchup on something, like liberal willingness and he offers something that was unauthorized there are many different things that people believe happened I'm sure you've looked into many of these yourself a lot of people believe he got coals that were not from the altar that God had made but that he wanted to create his own fire they saw the way God prescribed but perhaps they had a better way to do it they thought that their own coals would surely be enough that their own provision by their own hand you see how this is all woven through Matthew chapter 4 that we just read when we started that maybe these stones or these coals would surely be acceptable to God. If you tried to serve the Lord with coals established by your own fire or something or someone outside of Him, you will burn out. You will be burned out. I know times in my life where it seemed like the pace of ministry was increasing. My family was growing. That I was becoming very used to operating in my own strength. Instead of spending more time in prayer, calling out to God for his authorized fire, I tried to create within myself an ability to just power through the next meeting. And then power through the next meeting. And what I began to experience was I was being burnt out. 
We have to grab on to the very altar of God so we can continue to serve him as we've been called to. I got one more, all right? One more, is that all right? You guys are so tough. My goodness, at our church, if we had food cooking in the background, as people were listening to the sermon, there would be anarchy. People would rip the mic out of my hand and they would beeline it for the food. You guys are so much holier than us. Okay. We have the call to build, the call to serve, and I want to talk about the call to follow. The call to follow Christ fully. You know, people have said many times that it's easy to seek, as a believer who's in love with Jesus, it's easy to seek God, it's easy to seek his kingdom, but where we get off is we don't seek first his kingdom, right? See, we want to follow God, but sometimes I'm okay with myself following God 80%. I like to make a little bit of provision for myself. I just say, God, I know you called me to do this, and I know according to your word, I'm supposed to do that thing like this, in this attitude, in this manner, but I will make provisions to kind of cut corners a little bit. Remember that in gym class where you had to run around the gym like 12 times and all of a sudden like you're running straight and then you make a hard turn and you're like, oh, this is kind of hard on my knees. And you're like 12, so who cares about your knees? But you care. And so you start making like a little bit of a wider turn and then you figure out, hey, this, this made me a little faster. This is going by quicker. And then before you know it, you're just kind of running like a little circle. Have you, anyone been there? You ever done that? Okay, that's, the, yeah, me and you. I've noticed that I can also do that in my own walk with the Lord. That once I felt so sure about, once I felt so secure about, as it became more common, my love and my desire to do it the way God said to do it becomes less. Follow God fully. Do you follow God fully? All right, John 10. Let's go to John chapter 10. Nice. You did sword drills growing up, didn't you? Anybody else want to uh, get there? There we are. John 10. We're going to start off in verse 3. It says, to him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. That's pretty cool when we think about everything that Bezalel went through. That he was called by name. And what we see that those who are believers of Jesus Christ, in the same way, Bezalel was called by name. You are called by name. And he leads them out. It says, when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. You know there's a difference between hearing God's voice and knowing his voice. But as his sheep, 
we get to operate in both. Hearing his voice has to do more with comprehension. This is what he is speaking. I comprehend what the Lord is speaking to me. I can even kind of see what it looks like. But to know his voice is a little bit different. This isn't about intellectually knowing his voice. This is about seeing where he's going and saying, Lord, I will follow you at all costs. We, um, I'm going to read the rest of this. It says, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. It is not uncommon for shepherds, especially uh, in the Middle East, in Europe, uh, to name all of their sheep. One of the uh, believers, there's a guy that we've grown to love and know in Kosovo. Uh, he's the only believer in his entire city. Only one. Uh, if he has to get together with a group of believers, he will drive about an hour. They meet on Sundays. Uh, most of the people are also scattered. Community is very hard. Uh, but this man was an actual shepherd. He would shepherd sheep. And he would tell us that, you know, so number one, he named all his sheep. However many he had, hundreds of sheep, he named them all. And he would tell us how he knew the differences between them. Because he was an intentional shepherd. But not only that, uh, he had a special call that he would do. And I, I don't remember the call. I'm not going to even try to remember uh, the call. You know how parents, you have calls for your kids? You have like a whistle or something? Yes, double snap. Someone at our church, they go, whoop, whoop. And that, then their kids all come running. It's, it's pretty cool. Uh, you should develop that for your kids if you haven't uh, yet. But shepherds do the same thing with their sheep. And so you have this picture of this family of sheep that are known by name. So then when you're in a great giant pen and there's multiple families of sheep, the shepherd will make a call, whoop, whoop, and all of his sheep will come running toward him. There's a story, and I have no idea if this story is true or not, but let's pretend it is, okay? <laughs> uh, I, I read this that in World War I, uh, some soldiers uh, were trying to steal sheep uh, so they could slaughter them and eat them. And the shepherd sees all this happening, and they're, you know, they have, they're trying to beat these sheep to go into a certain spot because they, they want to take them and slaughter them and eat them because they're all starving. It's during a war. And the shepherd is like, I, I can't fight these guys. These guys are, all know what they're doing, and it's just me. But he makes his call to his sheep, and the sheep hear his voice, and they turn around, and they run toward him. I hope that story is true because it's an amazing story. But that's the principle that the text is trying to point out. That when he calls his voice, we can be confident. We don't even have to see exactly what he's doing. But we can hear his call and we can respond fully in that moment. And so he calls out his sheep. He gathers his sheep to himself. We're going to go back to Matthew and we're going to look at a few different scriptures here. And this is where we're going to end it. So we have this picture of Bezalel having a call, but it wasn't just about him. He was, he was the full package, but he had to have a team. There's a specific timing to that call. We saw that people grew impatient to the timing of the call in Exodus 32 as they were given all this instruction. 
for what the Lord wanted to do so he could manifest in their presence. Matthew 10, verse 1. And he called to him. You hear how that starts? And he called to himself. Come on, you can do it. Try to make, try to make like a whoop-whoop noise like I made for your sheep. Make it. Go ahead. Go. Okay, who did, you didn't try it, bro. Come on, let's hear it. There we go. Nice. So Jesus calls. He makes the call. And the 12 disciples came around him. His 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. How many people are so thankful for the authority that you've been given by Christ? We've been given power by Christ. We've been given authority. It's as though what we talked about, Jesus being the great high priest, raised his sons to be great high priests. Preach a whole message about that. The name of the 12 apostles are the first, and we're going to go through all of these, even if you know them. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. I love how he calls two sets of brothers here. So many people, they grow up, they're like, I just want to get away from my siblings. That's... <laughs> how ma- that's so far behind us. How amazing is it that we are seeing ministries form with siblings? All over the one association it's happening. In-laws all coming together. Jesus calls them together. That's why it's important as we parent to raise them up with ministry together in mind. I don't do it perfectly. Don't ever think for a second that I do. Okay? Don't think that for a second. All three of my sons are like, we're going to China together. We're doing it together. In in the car, uh, we drove here. There was a little bit of a tiff about germs on a drinking cup. And my one son turns to his brother and says, if you're not going to like drink that with the germs that are on it now, how are you going to make it in China? <laughs> He's like, brother, the call that's on our life. Start doing these things now. Start preparing now. Start building your father's tent now because one day you're going to really have to build the father's tent. Live out what you're called to. I was like, dang, son, that's a good word. I'm like, yeah, the germs. Yeah. Okay, so calling brothers. Verse 3, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Sometimes, I don't know why, but as I've been I've read this a thousand times, as I'm sure you have in Matthew 10, it's hard for me to believe that Jesus would still send Judas with them. Hey, Judas, I have a, a special assignment for you uh, back here. You let them go, and you're going to have a special assignment because you're going to ruin the whole thing. That's not our God. See, even for the person that you're still making up your mind about if you're going to follow Jesus. You're still making up your mind if you're going to be faithful to him to the very end. He still says, no, I'm calling you to go as any of my other sons. And he called his sheep to himself. Then Judas came with him, and Jesus let him be a part of the mission that he was called to. 
I probably would have held him back, to be honest. I probably would have held him back. Until I see this in your life, until I know you're not going to betray me because you are, then I'll let you go do what you were called to do. Listen, we have to get this right in our own lives and be all in. And as we're raising up sons in the kingdom, no, no matter their deficiencies, we have to propel them into what they were called to do. So he gives them a mission. He says in verse 5, So the twelve were sent out, including Judas, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You have to go to Israel. So they're on mission. They have their call. They know what they're going to do. They're walking in the will of God. They do it for a little bit. They do it for a little while. But then something changes inside of Judas. In Matthew 26, 14, it says, Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? It was as though Satan brought him on top of a mountain and said, If you bow to me, I will give you all these things. And he approaches the chief priest. And he says, what will you give me? I want something. I want glory. And you know what he settled for? 30 pieces of silver. Under $500 to sell out the Son of Man. And the reality is, sometimes in my heart, I've felt the temptation to do that for far less. I'm in a moment where I know I have to be bold with a word, but instead of being given $500 to not say that word, I just let the fear of man begin to pay me to stay silent. Lord, I know that you're calling me to entrust this to you and you've spoken it. But it's so uncomfortable. Lord, I don't need $500. I just need to hit snooze on my phone one more time instead of seeking your face. I've sold out for far, far less. And so Judas, it says, and they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. I don't think this word is for everyone here today. And yet I do think that sometimes people in their walks get to the point where they're just looking for a reason to walk away from Jesus. I know uh, as we've been pastoring, I, I've, I've known people who would even make up some scenarios in their mind that if this happened, then I would be gone. If my wife was going to get sick, then I, I would be gone. They were looking for a way to betray Jesus because the walk was becoming too hard. I'm going to keep reading. So we know what happens. Judas does it. In Matthew 27, you can turn there. 
verse 3. And I want to make a note. I'm, I'm not talking about betraying Jesus and walking away uh, just from your faith. I'm talking about even being in moments. There have been times when I've chosen sin in moments knowing that's the betrayal of Jesus. Lord, I know that this hurts our relationship, but I'm going to betray you for this moment so I can indulge in this because this way seems better. We do that from moving in anger to immorality to any other thing. In a moment, we are willing to betray him. I want you to think for a second, just be real with yourself. There's been an amazing revelation and calling that God has put on this family specifically. But there's also been a rebellion that the enemy has trying to lure his sons into from the beginning of time, all the way from the garden. Can you think of ways in your own life that you haven't dealt with? Where you've taken a step back, where you've betrayed Jesus, maybe for far less than $500. For a moment of comfort, for a moment of pleasure, for a moment of satisfaction. And you risk the call for a moment. I can think of ways I've done that. See, the amazing thing about our God is that when we come before him and we just repent, when we change our mind and change our heart, and we turn the other direction, we say, Lord, I don't want any of this anymore, that he restores us in a moment. Peter had a moment like this. And the beautiful thing is we aren't defined by our worst moments. Your life is not defined by your worst moment. That's the power of repentance on full display. But look at what happens here. It says, Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he sees everything play out. He's like, this is the thing that I wanted. Here it is. It's all going to happen. Maybe you've come to a place like that. You know you made a decision that, that was not the Lord's will for your life, not part of the call that you're supposed to be walking in. You made a choice. You're finally there. You're at the moment where you're going to enjoy everything because of the choice you made, and it happens, and you feel immediate regret and letdown. Have you ever been there? God, why did I trade in holiness for that? It's because... Satan didn't want Jesus to be swooped up and carried to safety by angels. He wanted him to commit ministry suicide. He doesn't want you to get what would fill your heart. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, it says he changed his mind. Imagine this for a second. All of a sudden you see who was supposedly your best friend, 
being handed over. The man who put his trust into you. The man who made the sheep call and you came running to him. You see him beaten and flogged and whipped and and tortured. You're seeing what's playing out before your eyes. And you're like, "I, I don't want this anymore. It said he changed his mind. In Greek, there's a couple things going on. The word for repentance is metanoia in Greek. And it literally means to change your mind about something. But this word is a little different than metanoia. This doesn't actually indicate repentance. This indicates remorse. He felt really bad about it. It wasn't godly sorrow as we see in 2 Corinthians 7. He just, he felt really bad. I didn't want it to be this way. See, I think the gap between repentance and remorse, there's a line and it's called self-centeredness. And we're in the place of remorse when it's all about us. Look at what I did Look at what's happened in my life. How can I preserve what I've lost? That's remorse. Repentance is stepping over saying, no, Lord, against you and you alone have I sinned. God, I hate what this has done to our relationship. God, I, I was wrong about this. Restore me as your son. And it says that he stands and he says, there's, for there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's what we get to receive. Yeah. But see, Judas is still in this place of remorse because he won't cross the, the selfish, self-centered line into repentance. And he brought back the 30 pieces of silver. Imagine this. You have $500 of cash in your hand that people paid you. And he goes back and he throws it. He said, I don't want it anymore. They're like, it's too late. It's already been done. See, the issue is when we compromise on the call of God, some doors do shut. Some doors do shut. If you know anyone who's uh, gone through a divorce after infidelity, uh, Some doors do shut. I'm not saying that's the way it always is, but we aren't promised that door to remain open. And Judas finds himself in that place. God, no, I don't want this. Undo it, undo it, undo it. And it can't be undone. And this is what he said. It says he gave back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. He even confesses sin. But he's still under the heading of this Greek word that means remorse. You know, you can confess your sin and not repent. That's why John the Baptist said, you have to repent and confess. They're both, they have to go together. You have to turn. One thing doesn't make it all better. They said, what is it to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed and he went and he hanged himself. See, the very thing 
that Satan wanted Jesus to do to end his life so that the ministry would stop. Satan was successful in getting Judas to do. To stop his call to preach the gospel. To stop the call on him to follow fully. See, we're all scholars of the word. We, we know that these things were written in the word long before they happened. We know that God is such a, a, a good God and a good author that he works all things together for our good. But he cut the call. And if you're here today and you felt tempted in these same ways, Maybe it's you don't want to engage in the building process of what the Lord is doing around you. You're stepping back from the call. Maybe it's cutting the call to serve as a priest. You've been working in your own strength, trying to create your own fire. Maybe you're looking for an opportunity. You're looking for a way out of the season you're in and you're even looking for scriptures to put a stamp on that. Maybe you're here and, and you've, I don't know, maybe you've been living in a season of betraying your master. I want to tell you for all of those things, the Spirit of God wants to breathe life into you today. And it only comes from repentance. So why don't you stand up with me right now?